North Idaho News of the Week is brought to you in part by Evergreen Realty, commercial and residential property listings. Online at evergreen-realty.com. morning you're listening to north idaho news of the week uh where i am let's see fixing my microphone here my name is jack peterson i'm here alone in the studio uh on the very last news of the week of the year uh and we will be playing in just a moment a conversation that we recorded one week ago with uh three members of the local print media ben olson the publisher of the sandpoint reader as well as reporters Laura Reich, Lauren Reichenbach and Evie Seberg of the Bonner County Daily Bee. Uh, so that will start in just a minute. Before then, I wanted to, for those of you who get your news uh, from us in audio form only and haven't heard already, it is worth mentioning that uh, what one story that we don't cover in the recorded interview, which I said we recorded a week ago, is that later that same day uh, that we recorded this conversation, Jennifer Stapleton issued her formal uh, resignation. Uh, she will resign, I guess I should say, her letter of resignation. Uh, she will resign as Sandpoint City Administrator uh, at the end of the working day on Wednesday, January 3rd. That's next Wednesday. Um, that is the... Uh, that that is the big story, and uh, look to this radio station to have a conversation with her in just the coming the coming weeks after she uh, officially does step down from her position. Uh, it looks like we will be talking to her about her term there. Uh, this does come ahead of uh, Mayor Elect Jeremy Grimm being si- sworn in. Um, part of his major campaign uh, effort was to eliminate the city administrator position. Um, And so this is, uh, whether this is just a uh, preemptive move or, um, uh, yeah, uh, what this, this is sort of a a preemptive move. And uh, even though mayor elect Grimm would not, have the power to unilaterally uh, eliminate the position. Um, it her according to Stapleton's letter, um, rather than allow this to be a distraction to the business and success of the city, I have chosen to resign and wish him success in his term. So there you have it. That's uh, that's the big news item um, as well. We have um, let's see here. Uh, Um, we, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, one, one other item that is, uh, of particular local interest, uh, that recently came down, uh, a first district district court judge 
has affirmed the Bonner County Commissioner's vacation of Camp Bay Road. That is the the commissioner's decision to vacate, not a not a uh, vacation per, in that sense, but they have they decided to vacate Camp Bay Road, and for several years uh, there has been a debate and challenges over whether they were in fact allowed to do that. This is a, a road. <clears throat> Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on the Sagal Peninsula, uh, providing lake access uh, to residents and uh, one of one of only a few on the lake. Um, but District Judge Cynthia Meyer uh, found in an 18-page ruling that the Board of County Commissioners' vacation of the road met the Idaho Code, that due process was not violated, and there was insufficient evidence to show bias on the board's part. Um the judge also found that the board's decision was in the public public interest because it guarantees public access to the lake on a pathway uh, being created by the developer M3 ID Camp Bay LLC. Uh, Fred and Jennifer Arn were the uh, were were challengers to the uh, roads vacation and. Um, Principal organizers, I think we can say, about of the uh, the opposition to the move by the county, uh, in a quote provided to the Daily Bee, they said, "We are disappointed and saddened for the citizens of Bonner County. They are the real losers. The development of the property was never our issue; only the vacation of the public road. We simply ask that everyone follow the law, including its intent." <clears throat> um, the uh, so that whether that puts the um, puts the matter to rest or not we will uh we shall see um i don't think we <clears throat> i don't think we know uh for sure what the what the plans are but it, anyway this is a major step towards uh that development and um and there will probably be or it looks like that will be moving towards completion with the the road being vacated and a rock a walking path being put there in its place for public access uh, and the uh, private development taking the place uh, that the county has vacated. Um, there's more news, sure, but we don't really have uh, that much time for it. We'll be talking about it in the new year in 2024 uh, because if I start now, it looks like we can get through the. 50-minute conversation that we had with the local reporters, uh, and so start now, we shall. Again, this is a conversation uh, looking back at the year in uh, the year in review in uh, local and regional news, and I'll let uh, Chris Bessler, who hosted the conversation, introduce the reporters. We recorded this one week ago on Friday, uh, December 22nd. Thanks for listening to the North Idaho News of the Week. This is 885KRFY. And we're here now to do the year in review local news. And we have a room full of journalists here. In fact, if Somebody wanted to bomb the room. They'd wipe out half the reporting core of, <laughs> of uh, Sandpoint. But we have with us uh, 
two reporters from the Daily Bee, Evie Seberg and Lauren Reichenbach, is yes. that pronounced correctly? Okay. Uh, and publisher of the Sandpoint Reader, Ben Olson. Uh, and uh, we're going to run through what we think are were the biggest stories in 2023. And then towards the end of the uh, show, we want to come back and um, talk about what we think might be the big stories in 2024. And, of course, I'm joined here at the mics by Jack Peterson. And good morning, Chris. Yes. Uh, thanks. Th- thanks for being here. We're, this is going to air. We're recording this in advance of the Wednesday show when you're listening to this at first opportunity. It's, we're also going to replay it again on the Friday show. So uh, this is our wrap-up for uh, the morning show and the news of the week for North Idaho. Well, Ben Olson, you came with the biggest, most robust list. Yeah, was I the only one that prepared? <laughs> Come on. Well, here's my list. <laughs> it looks kind of puny compared to yours. No, the secret is that uh, Zach Hagenon did it all for me uh, <laughs> uh, last go. night. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Um well, Ben, why don't you lead out? What would you identify as, let's start out with just a few of the biggest stories of the year that you saw, and then we'll come back to uh, Evie and Lauren as well to tell us, supplement. How's that sound? Sure. I mean, it's th- there are so many stories out there that, that were big, uh, and I don't know whether to start chronologically or, or, you know, based upon what made the most impact, but I think just overall, if we focus in on the county and really the name uh, of the game there is dysfunction, I think, in 2024 or uh, 2023. Um, you know, Asia Williams and Luke Ahmet joined the commission in, in January. January. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it started off all right, um, you know, getting to know each other and, and the, the business of the county continued to get done. And, you know, it just started going off a cliff uh, towards spring, summer. I mean, by summertime, uh, there was a protective order issued against Steve Bradshaw um, by, alleged, a, by Asia right? by Asia for alleged threats that that Bradshaw made, um, and you know now there's a Bonner County Sheriff's deputy watching over the room, um, including executive sessions, which has led to body cam videos filming those executive sessions, and on top of all that, there's you know the same twelve to fifteen people citizens that go to these meetings and you know, throw wrenches and ask lots of questions, which is great to have an informed and, you know, uh, active uh, public, but it all kind of combines together to form this dysfunction that I've seen in in Bonner County that it's the worst I've seen since I've been covering it. And yes, the business of the county is getting done, but I think we're leading up to some, you know, some ugliness in 2024 if it keeps at this pace, really. Mm -hmm. You want, let's bring Lauren in on this because Lauren, this is your beat as well. Yes. Um, wh- what's your observation? Would you would you rate this first as one of the biggest stories of the year for our our uh, local people? Yeah, I think Ben took a lot of the words right out of my mouth, especially dysfunction. Yeah. I think that is a great way to describe the county and county politics right now. Um, I think there's just a lot of tension between everyone, and it. From my observations, it doesn't seem like anyone is really willing to put aside their ego and to really try to fix the situation. So I definitely agree with Ben that I think it's it's going to ramp up in the new year to a whole bunch of new stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so county dysfunction, which we can expect to continue. I, now, one thing that just happened was they uh, approved some new rules of for conduction for conducting the meetings. Uh, do you guys think that's going to help? No. No. <laughs> I, I think it. I think it was a it. It came with good intentions, but I think it's only making the public angrier, and I think it's going to lead to more issues rather than resolving yeah. them, unfortunately. Yeah, one of the things that it does, it kind of specifies the way the public can make comment, right? Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, they don't like they, that. <laughs> they can't comment on agenda items now, and I, I guess I'll say that, you know, it, there's not one source of blame here when it comes to this this issue. It's it's not one person on the commission. It's not one member of the public. It's it's this perfect storm uh, uh, just swirling around each other. And the more the public is restricted from commenting, the more, you, frankly, the more idiot comments come out. And it's frustrating as a journalist when you want to cover this straight and you just want to tear your hair out after watching this for four hours. You're seeing people being paid, you know, six figures a year to just to have festivists every week, mm -hmm. grievances, mm -hmm. you know, they just air grievances. They yell at each other. They yell at the public. The public yells at them. I'm like, what am I, what am I doing with my life? What, I could yell. <laughs> I, I could do this. Um, well, here, here's the function that you guys serve is that you save the public from having to sit through that. You can summarize it in a story and, and the rest of us don't have to go and experience all the, uh, what's going on in that room. But, uh, uh, anyways, that's, I think a pretty unanimous choice for one of the big stories of the year. Ben, give us another one. Uh, you know, something that I, I saw a lot um, back, you know, back in the day, years and years ago, uh, you know, the county has always been under a microscope, but I feel like the city of Sandpoint has been brought under that, under that microscope now too, where there's a lot of uh, Sandpoint residents who, who are expressing dissatisfaction with the way the city is run um, everything from, you know, the curve resurfaced, the zombie curve just kind of came up out of the dead again this and, spring. And, and, and that's the plan to use what's currently the bike path to yeah. route traffic around uh, Fifth and Pine. It started uh, as the curve. I think it was 2013. It was finally, you know, quote unquote, laid to rest. Um, but it was, it was just this big redesign to, to, to join Fifth Avenue North all the way to Highway 2 going west. And, you know... I feel like a lot of people were like, where did this come from? This has been dead for a decade. And, uh, you know, I heard countless, countless, I heard from countless people just angry about the fact that it's been brought back, about the kind of um, uh, tone-deaf way in which the city presented it to Sandpoint. And ultimately it was shelved again. It wasn't gotten rid of because it's still in the comp plan. Um, but... You know, but, but, the, but the city did buy the Dubs property. They did. Yeah. yeah. So their city's kind of laid the groundwork to do something there. I uh, think I think the uh, the biggest news on that just I mean Zach just in, went to this ITD presentation at the Kiwanis, and I think the biggest quietest news on that was the ITD spokeswoman. She was talking about essentially how they're not going to bring this up again. They don't want it. It's a hot potato unless the city of Sandpoint is a unified front that actually you know, says we want this again. They don't want to touch it, mm -hmm. which kind of, you know, it goes against what city administrator Jennifer Stapleton was saying, which is essentially like, hey, we have to do this. Um, 
I found that a little disingenuous after hearing the ITD spokesperson saying, nope, we mm. don't want to do this mm. until Sandpoint wants us to do it. Mm-hmm. So who's driving the bus yeah. there? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and this issue does go back many years, really, when the FERC curve was originally uh, proposed. And uh, I think we had Mayor Carrie Logan at that time, and she put the kibosh on it at that point. It's like, let's leave it as it is. It's going to entail this huge intersection at uh, – at what Pine and and um, Boyer is where it would be, right in front of Dubs. Kind of like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah mm-hmm. Euclid Boyer. I don't know what they were going to do there. But they're going to take that railroad grade there and and yeah. stretch it across. It, 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 yeah. Anyways, it 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 became apparent that it posed some huge issues for pedestrians to get across the the five or six lanes that they were proposing there. So anyway, so that kicked things off for the city at, at early in the year when they started talking about that, and then. Other city things came up, um, and uh, maybe, uh, Evie, this is kind of your beat, right? Yes. So <laughs> um, what were some of the other city things? I mean, we, we evolved into elections, and issues came up uh, mm-hmm. with Travers Park, the downtown waterfront plan. I mean, there was all kinds of big yeah. stories that came out of the city. Yeah, I think Travers Park was a really big one. Um a lot of pushback. I was talking to my boss this morning about when has that happened in Sandpoint before? What kind of is this? Is this common or is this where, where bizarre? We protests, people waving mm-hmm. signs, and yeah. And uh, the one thing mm-hmm. she brought up was the annexation project in 1995, saying that a lot of people were really pushing back against that. And it's funny because during that, a council member had to step down. And similarly with Travers, you have kind of a similar pattern where there's a lot of protests, not for the same reasons, uh, not for the same reasons that the council member stepped down. But I think, um, yeah, I think that was big and led to, kind of led to Groat's resignation. I won't say that it did because he never, he never technically said those words, you know, I'm resigning over Travers. But he did talk about Travers and then resign. So I think that was implied. But I know that's kind of a touchy subject at the city. Um, And I think that was a big thing, too. Uh, That doesn't happen very often either. You know, I think the last resignation was in 2013. Um, So, yeah, those are those are some of the stories. Yeah, and and the point of contention was they're building the James Russell Sports Center there yes. and the, it was the location. The interesting thing about that is it had been planned for over a year mm-hmm. to put it there. It actually longer than that. The the Traverse Park plan, the master plan for the park called for an eventual indoor facility there someday and that plan was made multiple years ago, probably 4 or 5 years ago. Yeah. Um, and when they began considering it, at first they were going to put it right where the current um, tennis courts are. Mm-hmm. And they got a bunch of pushback from the tennis community. said, don't take away these courts and build something on top. Let's move it. So this, the city council did listen to that first bunch of, of, of feedback they got. They moved it. Uh, and the, the interesting thing is that this didn't get activated as a issue until it would already approved. Not yeah. during the discussion leading up to it. So I don't know if there, if there's a, a lesson for the public there. It's like get involved a little earlier. <laughs> that's that's a common yeah. common thing with the public. You know, you can't fault the city completely um, for the Travers or Parkalypse, as yeah, Zach Park-a-lips. called it. There we go. Um, because the 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 people need to be involved. They need to read these stories early and get involved early and let their their opinions be known early. 
Um, that being said, there were several people that spoke up at city council meetings early on in this process. Um, you know, Mayor Shelby Ronstadt often discounted what they said, you know, vocally to their face. Um, and I think a lot of times that the council doesn't really listen to the public as much as they should, but the public needs to put this level of opposition well forward of what they do now, because, you know, it's, it's, you're complaining about something that's already happened. You're wasting your time, mm -hmm. unfortunately. But a silver lining is I feel like after those protests and the chaining to the tree and everything, I saw the city uh, councilors and I saw the city staff uh, listen a little bit more at their at their following meetings mm -hmm. after that. And I feel like if that's the only thing you can take away from this, that's that's a good win for everybody because mm -hmm. we need an open line of communication between our our, our residents and our and our representatives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another issue in the city that was turned out to be. Ex <laughs> well discussed and a lot of feedback on it was the uh the downtown waterfront plan mm -hmm. and, um and that actually started as a design competition which yeah. was an interesting way to to take on a planning project um so give us the 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 short version of what that new story was why don't you jump in on that again evie okay yeah so to kind of create an aligned vision for the downtown core uh, the city put on the waterfront design competition, which invited different teams to contribute their design ideas. It's basically like, I think of it like a mood board. It's ideas to help the city move forward, kind of reference as far as aesthetic, historical preservation, what kind of projects do people really want to see. Anyway, they kind of did an elimination process, had, had their teams participate, then eventually took it down to, I think, three teams, and then chose from there. Um, and then that team, which is GGLO, will kind of help the city or has been helping the city just craft this plan that, or I guess, I guess they're not necessarily calling it a plan as much as just like a, um, I forget what the word they used for it was, but it's an, it's ideas. So, and that's in the works now they've kind of, uh, approved the last plan and then they're kind of using that to move forward in the new year with future projects. And the feedback on it that was that um, a lot of people just didn't like specifics in mm -hmm. the plan. Yeah, I think it was, for a lot of them, the view they saw of Sandpoint and some of these images, especially with the other teams. I think, I think the reason GGLO was chosen was because it did most resemble what people who have lived here for a long time want to see. The other ones were a little more modern, a little more, I mean, not, not entirely, but some of the ideas were just a little more fantastical, I think. And this kind of, I think, kept people down on, on the ground. Um, and I do think there were people who were frustrated with the expense of it too, you know, because each of the teams that were like preliminary still were awarded quite a bit of money. And I think that was frustrating to a lot of citizens when they could use that money for the projects that they're going to be implementing because of the because of the design competition. So I would say that's where a lot of the pushback came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember an email I got from somebody when they were announcing that from a guy. And I thought it was really well put. And he said, why are we paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to these out-of-town design firms to tell us the character of our own town? And mm -hmm. I feel like that was the line that resonated to me with a lot of the pushback against this. A lot of people like it. Um, uh, a lot of people are, are against it. But I, I feel like at heart, it's it's this kind of model of, of spending a lot of money, of the cities, just of spending a lot of money in the planning process 
um, which hasn't always been the case in Sandpoint government. You know, we've we've had department heads and and, and stuff that um, that have streamlined that process a little bit differently before. But now we're front loading a lot of our costs with these designs and these proposals and these plans. And um, so, yeah, that, that, there was definitely some pushback on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. What else is on your list, Ben? You got the. Uh, <laughs> you have a good variety of things on your list. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's not boring living here. Um, <laughs> if you just moved here hoping to find some quiet little retreat, uh, you better keep looking. Surprise. Yeah. I think uh, I think it wasn't a sandpoint specific story, but I think the whole drama at West Bonner County School District um, was one of the bigger stories. I mean, it made national news. It's still making national yeah. news um, with the. Uh, you know the just to break it down in a nutshell there was um uh, the the board of trustees ended up hiring uh Brandon Durst who's kind of a wonky like political activist from Boise um used to be a democrat ran as representative changed parties and now he's kind of on the you know further right fringe of the Republican party um and a lot of residents in in West Bonner were a little um, miffed at that to say the least, uh, because Brandon Durst, you know, also brought with him a lot of ideas of curriculum changes and wide sweeping changes to the district. And, you know, a lot, a lot of the staff were let go. And then, you know, he hired as his clerk, the wife of a very, um, uh, get the doctors. I just saw the look in her eyes. Um, all of a sudden her, her OBE is not going to be her OBE. She, you know, she has to go figure out a new birth plan. And, um, you know, a lot of people were were figuring out trips to Coeur d'Alene to, you know, to have their, their visits and have the, the birth plan there and exploring having a midwife, um, you know, at one of the facilities in town. And it, it really kind of showed, um, it was, it was a conclusion to a lot of this, um, push, you know, against the, by the legislature, especially uh, about making these abortion uh, bans and rules, uh, it was kind of a, a manifestation of that. You know, you saw what really happens when you know when we when we pass laws of of that nature, and you're seeing it in Texas now with that Katie uh, Cox. Right. Um, not to be confused with Sandpoint's Katie Cox. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, um, but a gal that had to leave the yeah. state. Yeah, and because and, she had a. A, uh, a pregnancy that was endangering her life and the, the fetus was not viable, but yeah. she couldn't have the abortion there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, the judge ruled that she could. And then the lieutenant governor said, nope, um, we're going to arrest you and your husband and the doctor. And so it's just, I, I feel like that's what a lot of people were fearing uh, here in Sandpoint when they heard that um, BGH was closing their, their OBGYN. And, um, and, yeah, it's it still reverberates. Uh, people are are still kind of upset about that whole thing. Just and that it did get uh, national, even international. The Guardian had a big story on it in in the UK um, uh, about that particular that spe- specifically about Bonner General Health and and the situation here with our obstetrics care. I know Bonner General Health is really looking for ways to restore uh, that kind of care here, uh, and it. Part of it is all wound up in insurance po- policy yeah. and, and uh, those kind of needs for the for the uh, hospital to be uh, to be able to, to to get insurance that they need for their for their doctors. So uh, we'll see what happens in this next year. It could be that uh, a different level of care comes back there. Yeah. So 
Okay, another topic big in 2023. I've got a big one. Um, the Darcy Smith investigation release. Um, the whole thing, I guess, started in 2022, which was long before I got here. So um, this is at the fairgrounds now. Yes, yeah. at the fairgrounds um, because of alleged fraud that may or may not have happened last year. And the investigation was released, I think, earlier, like late spring, early summer. And it caused a lot of contention in the county, which we totally needed more of that. Um, but a lot of people were saying that it's it seems very incomplete. It doesn't seem to really have any solid proof of yay or nay, she did this, she didn't do this. Um, and a lot of people are saying, yes, the investigation's done, like everything's closed, let's move on. And then a lot of people are saying, no, that's not what happened. Like a lot of this is very like flimsy. It doesn't really prove anything. And so even now, like almost weekly at the commissioner's meetings where we have people standing up talking about her and the case and I know at the fair board meetings a lot of times they're talking about her asking for justice and I'm not sure if we're ever going to get to that point because of all the other confusion and all the other parts that fit mm -hmm. into it to make it complete mm -hmm. and, and tragically Darcy took her life as this investigation was kind of getting started her accusations yes. were, yeah, she were took about her life uh, on Halloween financial malfeasance um, and uh, yeah it's it's a complicated case uh, and w speaking about the fairgrounds, I mean, part of the part of the uh, kerfuffle there was over an RV park. Mm -hmm. It was planned, and the the, uh, the sheriff was really opposing that. Fairboard itself, even though the uh, the county had secured uh, what a four hundred thousand dollar plus grant to put in an RV park, the sheriff came out against it. And the fair board itself came out against it, right? Yeah, um, that was really interesting. I kind of, <clears throat> I started working at the B right in the middle of it, right around like when phase two of the project started. And what was interesting to me was, as I was reading up on history about it, it seemed like there was no pushback throughout all of phase one when they were, I believe it was just like fixing the parking lot, making it better and everything. And then a lot of pushback came out of nowhere during phase two. And that's when the fair board released their statement saying that they were denying the grant, which legally doesn't do anything, but it makes the mm -hmm. county look really bad for the, the people who were giving the grant and mm -hmm. everything. And all of the contention made construction get pushed back and delayed, which ended up causing the county to lose the grant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess wherever you fall on that particular issue that, uh, it, it was a I, Luke Ahmet, uh, the county commissioner, was really a proponent for getting the RV park there because it could provide income for the uh, for the fairgrounds, um, which in a certain sense certainly seems <laughs> like a not a bad idea right there. Um, uh, and most recently, the um, the county approved an audit, so you can kind of as part of that whole fairgrounds. Uh, yeah uh, kerfuffle there so now that's another thing that's just got it is just happened. Yeah. yeah it's difficult too because a lot of residents are requesting that the county approve previous year's audits for the fair board but the fair board is claiming that they don't have any financial documentation that would allow those audits and a lot of residents are saying that's not true something is shady is going on but the county can only go off of what information the county has so it's kind of a a limbo right now whether they will even be able to do any kind of previous audits or whether they want to mm -hmm. and it doesn't sound like they're going to right now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i don't think they're going to look too far back um 
I guess it comes down to the whole sunken cost thing. Do you do you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to figure out how you might have been frauded out of you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, or you just let it lie? I think that's the question there. Swirling around this story, though, are also these lawsuits um, by the deputy prosecutor Scott Bauer. He's got you know I think four separate lawsuits against the county for various reasons. Michael Rosedale, the Barnard County clerk, he's also got a lawsuit. Uh, it's it's really tough to write these stories because they're nitpicking every single detail of what we write. And, um, they're, you know, a lot of times I feel like they're trying to litigate their, their case through the media coverage. And it's frustrating because, you know, we cover a lot of things as journalists, but we are not intricately involved with these stories like they are. And, um, this fair board investigation and RV park and lawsuits, it's, it's a storm within a storm mm -hmm. really. Yeah, storm within a storm. Uh, another yeah. a layer in the onion of county politics, I guess. So um, if you're just tuning in, this is the morning show and uh, news of the week on 88.5 KRFY. And we're talking today with three of our local um, journalists, Evie Seberg, Lauren Reichenbach, and um, Ben Olson. And we're doing a year in review of the biggest stories in 2023 here in Sandpoint and Bonner County. So, Ben, what else you got as a big story of the year? Uh, it was a pretty big story of the spring, um, and therefore that's part of this year, so yeah. this will go. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a lot of uh, national attention in the spring, especially in uh, the winter, spring, and the summer, about you know the, the book banning kind of came back into prevalence and the anti-critical race theory and inclusive this and that. Uh, uh, there's just a lot of push on the... Um, uh, on that idea of of library boards um, uh, essentially censoring or or restricting access to certain materials from children, and you know we saw an election uh, between um, Stacy Rodriguez and uh, and incumbent Susan Shea, and it got pretty heated to be honest. Yeah, for the library board, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And normally you don't see a lot of attention for library board. You don't. You never elections. see much about yeah. a library board election, but this blew up and was a full blown election. Yeah, yeah. And Rodriguez, you know, she employed the same firm that Scott, that our senator Scott Herndon um, used uh, in his race against Jim Woodward, which is you know characterized by a lot of mudslinging and um, and uh, pamphlets through the mail that a lot of people were quite offended by, um, and I. I, I remember thinking at the time, why is a library board candidate being represented by a political firm? You know, I mean, these are these are people that usually just, you know, you know them from down the street and they care about books and everything. They're not looking to change the entire um, organization of the library. Um, and so as a result of that um, campaign, um, the uh, the voters, they chose the incumbent um, and Rodriguez, you know, she had a lot of extreme ideas they didn't sit well with the with the, the voting public, and so uh, you know that kind of all just sort of settled. You know, mm -hmm. you you see such anger, and we saw. I mean, we even saw online death threats. They had the Sandpoint Library had to call the police in May and report having online death threats on the Rosebud um, uh, group on Facebook. And you know, now you don't even really hear about that anymore. It's just one of those issues that we got really angry about and then we forgot about because <laughs> there's other things to get angry about. Yeah, if you're going to predict things for 2024, you might say it probably will pop up in some fashion again. But uh, Probably. <laughs> so, okay. Well, hey, Evie, throw one at us. 
Well, I mostly gave my four that I brought. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> oh, the geese are a good one. They, uh, there we go. They, uh, that was Lauren's idea. Um, <laughs> so the the geese hunts at City Beach were fairly controversial. Uh, the city has been trying to find a way to manage a lot of geese that show up at City Beach and poop and spread E. coli, and they're trying to find a way to get rid of that. Um, and so geese hunting became one of the solutions. I know they tried other solutions like dogs and I think sprays and certain things, but they ended up having people angry with the dog thing because I guess that got out of hand too. And some of the geese got killed by dogs, but I don't think there's a clear cut solution to it. Um, but I do know people. There are there's a good majority of people who are very angry with that. Yeah, yeah there, there, again, this is kind of an ongoing story. So they proved a, a actual goose hunt at City Beach, a city park, mm-hmm. and that got national news. It was bounced around like the city in Idaho is, has you know, hunters at their city park. Yeah, um, downtown. And, uh, and it, that first hunt happened in January, and. They killed one bird. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It, was, it was it was poorly. Uh, cold. I mean, that, that's a bad idea because there weren't any geese snap. around. You know, it was frozen, yeah. so the geese weren't hanging around. And then we got into the summer, and this story took on a whole new dimension because the city, without a lot of uh, advance notice, um, approved. Uh, I think about 150 birds were captured and killed mm-hmm. uh, to to knock down the goose population, and that kicked off. Yeah. A lot of uh, criticism. Um, and I will say, I was down at the beach maybe a week or two after that, and I counted 40 geese. <laughs> so they you know, they repopulate pretty quickly. Um, uh, and then we got back into the fall, and there was another goose hunt. And I, do you guys have any kind of data on how many geese might have been taken during the fall goose hunt? I actually would like to look into that. I don't have, I don't have information. I know they were in November, I think. So they should know at this point if that was even mildly successful but i don't have anything yeah yeah i was just actually putting that on my list this morning i'm like how did that come out i, I still haven't heard the the results yeah and it's it's although i gotta say even if they did end up you know bagging a lot of birds I, it's hard to imagine how that's gonna change much that happens there next spring and summer in terms of the goose population yeah so i, I feel like it's like swatting mosquitoes in your campsite you know you, you're gonna feel like you're getting ahead of it but you're, yeah you're not i mean they're gonna be there it, it, it is it's a serious issue there's a lot of goose poop down i go to the beach myself in the summer multiple times um and it you got to watch where you're stepping and it, it it impairs the use of the big open lawns for people to throw footballs and frisbees and all that kind of stuff and and I'm sure there is a high amount of that. It's polluting the the swimming water too. So that'll be a, another story that continues in 2024. <laughs> ben, uh, give us another one. Uh, I think you know Schweitzer selling to Altera was a pretty big story for a lot of uh, skiers and snowboarders here in town. Um, you know we've. We've we've had a, a local feel to our mountain for you know most of the time that that I've skied there. I mean I've skied there since I was in fourth grade, and I uh, I, I I was I felt a little nostalgic when I heard that news because I, I felt like oh there here we go you know this is it um, you know Altera they own Mammoth Steamboat Big Bear Deer Valley you know they own like sixteen resorts around the country and they're all very you know high dollar big resorts and. 
you know, they've got a lot of changes coming up. They got some, uh, a, they got a new lift this year and a new parking area and a new staging area for the Bunny Hill. And, and that was already in the works before Altera purchased. Yeah, yeah. definitely was. <clears throat> and so there's, there's a lot of changes. There's going to be, you know, the, the gateway lot's going to eventually be condos and, you know, we're going to see a lot of changes up there. And I think overall, uh, people are, are hoping that they'll retain that local feel to the mountain because, you know, we all, we all kind of feel like we own that place a little bit and, um, I hope that they continue that. Uh, and so that's, that's the, the worry, I think, with a lot of the skiers. And for the most part, I think they've kept, they've, so far, they've kept the prices the same. They don't seem to be, um, you know, doing any big sweeping changes yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, I think it's coming. It's, yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. Altair came on board and said, Hey, we're leaving all the management in place. And they did. Uh, they, they didn't change up anything that way. Um, they do have the resources to, probably market the resort out more than uh, the sweatshirts marketed in the in the past um, but uh, yeah it's going to be a kind of a wait and see to how the mountain is affected I, I will say the local ownership of the of the mountain went away back in the mid 1990s yeah uh, yeah, yeah right. so it's been owned by uh, uh, companies in out of Seattle right um, for for many years and it still is you know, progress along is a really great place to for locals to be. Um, Having a tough beginning of the year this year, but you know, uh, oh no, kidding. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll we'll see some snow come. Yeah, soon. well, uh, have you been down to do the to check out the new ch uh, chairlift? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I went. Uh, I went that one day. They got uh, they got a good dump of snow, and you know, it was uh, it was interesting going across that little bridge and everything. Yeah, and it's they, it, they've done some cool things down there. I thought it was going to go even further down. I didn't know it was just literally right across the right, creek. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. But yeah, there there's some fun uh, uh, things coming at Schweitzer, mm -hmm. and I I definitely I am I'm doing my dances for snow right now because I've only got one day in year. Mm -hmm. I think at this point I had ten days last year. Oh so, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Up to this, point. I haven't even been yeah. up yet. Tell you the truth. Yeah. It just uh, kind of. I found it really interesting. Um, I reached out to Schweitzer once they announced that they were unlimiting their Icon Pass, which is what I think all Altera-owned mountains have done. Um, but they anticipated no real change in their, um, what's the word? Just their like population of people going up there and riding per day with the unlimiting of the Icon Pass. Um, I know a lot of locals don't agree with that. And I think once we start seeing real snowfall up there, it's going to get a lot busier because I have a friend from Vermont who drives across the country every year to get his seven days in at Schweitzer with his Icon Pass. Mm -hmm. And now that it's unlimited, he's like, I'll be here for a month or two probably to ride yeah. the mountain. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are going to do that. So I think it's going to get a lot busier up there once we start seeing real snowfall. So the secret to happiness is ski midweek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can avoid almost all the, the lines. Well, we are going to come up on the end of our time here pretty soon. Um, but you want to go around with one more quickie from each of us on what might have been a big story for the year? Yeah, I, I think the elections in November uh, in the city especially, um, I think that, that – that election where we're going to see a new mayor, Jeremy Grimm, and uh, two new council members, uh, Kyle Schreiber and Pam Duquette, um, along with incumbent Deb Rule. Uh, that election was uh, it was a very polite election. I, I remember at the forum being uh, impressed by how well everybody was treating one another. Um, 
you know, you don't see that often when it comes to the legislative elections. Uh, but underneath that, you know, that polite conversation, there was, I feel like there was a referendum being discussed where the candidates who all won seemed to be the ones that were pushing back against the city administration model, the feeling of disconnection between the people and their city. Um, and so I feel like we're going to see a, a, a pretty uh, changed city in 2024. Yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be interesting with the new mayor and a couple of new council people. I will say the thing really that struck me the most about the city election was all the uproar we had about Travers Park and the downtown waterfront and, and unhappiness being vocalized so much. And yet only 35% of the registered voters in the city turned out to vote. So two thirds mm -hmm. of the people in town didn't even vote. It's like, what do you got to do to engage people? Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it, and yet we'll see twice that turnout for the presidential election where your vote is, is, you know, not gonna make any difference at all, basically, because we're, it's, it's one of, uh, you know, 150 million votes that are cast. So yeah. anyways, that's my beef about yeah. the uh, the city election. Um, do you want to give us another one, Evie or yeah. and Lauren? Um, I think one kind of overarching theme in the city throughout the year, in a similar vein as the waterfront design competition, is the comp plan, which they are still kind of finalizing. They haven't completely finalized it yet because they're wanting to do some more public outreach. But that's been in the works for a while. I think COVID kind of derailed it for a bit, um, and it's been in need of a revision. So I think the city's looking forward to that, and I think that will be a big part of next year as well. Mm -hmm. How about you, Lauren? I think a really big one that we didn't touch on was the BCRCC's attempt to censure um, Commissioners Luke Ahmet and Steve Bradshaw. And I don't know this about the all Republican of you. Central Committee. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know about all of you, but I was actually really shocked that they mm. ended up voting against censorship. Um, I thought it was going to be no, no contest. But, there, but they but. did censor Mark Souter, the representative Mark Souter, right? Mm -hmm. As I recall, yeah. yeah. So, um, and he had, he had a great line about that uh, recently. He said, "You know, I never had their support in the first place when I was running. I never had their support in, while I was in office." So. This, you know, essentially, yeah. I'm paraphrasing here. This doesn't business as usual, right? Doesn't yeah. move the needle, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay. Well, in our last five minutes or so here, let's do some predictions for 2024. Um, who wants to start out with what they think will be a pretty big story that people might want to pay attention to? Go ahead, Lauren. I think um, I don't have any like direct predictions, but I think it would be a really good idea just to like keep an eye on the county because I've heard a lot of things are going to be happening right after January 1st. Not a lot of details have come out about it yet, but I think that there are going to be some big things happening. So just keep your eye out, keep your ear out for hmm. things you're hearing. Yeah. Can I interject here? Just talking about the county. We, we've talked about the county and the fair board and we kind of address them as two separate things, but they're very interrelated. I mean, the, the the heart of the conflict at the county is over what's going to happen at the county fair, the county fairgrounds, and also what happened in the past with alleged financial malfeasance. Um, is that would you say if that issue goes away, things smooth over at the county, or is it <laughs> this is the uh, this is just what they're grabbing onto right now, and these issues at the county are going to be ongoing no matter what. 
I would say some things will get better if that mm -hmm. should go away. I know there was a lot of tension between like Clerk Rosedale and the Fair Board for a lot of things that were said, and they seem to have worked some or all of that out for the time being. And I know that even just having a, a good conversation between the two has definitely calmed some things down, but I'm sure that'll get swept over really quickly by other problems that are happening. Yeah. Ben, you think the same? Or is it, it you think the uh, if the fair issue is, is it resolved, and I'm not sure it ever can be, I mean, you know, the, inve the investigation can never be fully concluded, really, with the... It's, I, I feel know. like, honestly, it's, it's whack-a-mole. Um, when that mole goes away, there's going to be something else for them to bash with their hammers. And mm -hmm. um, it's an unfortunate... Uh, grouping of of people uh, right now that are that are running the county business because a lot of people are very uh, on top of what they're doing and they're mm -hmm. they're the doing the work um, and a lot of people are just kind of you know throwing sticks in the spokes um, mm -hmm. so yeah I, I think it, it could ease some tensions but it'll just open up more areas um, for for further tension down the road yeah. there's like I said, it's a storm, and it's it's not. This is just one isolated part of that storm. It doesn't. It's not the eye of it or anything. Mm -hmm. um, well, sorry to de derail the conversation there, <laughs> Evie. You were oh. going to make a prediction about twenty twenty four, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything huge. I think, obviously, very obviously, growth is going to continue happening, and that's going to keep changing how the council decides to move forward and how how people decide where they want to spend the rest of their lives and things like that. But I think, um, I don't know. I think the growth will change even like our role as a journalist. I'm very new to the field, but, um, I think small communities, I think people in small communities are even more passionate because they feel like they can make a greater impact. You know, people that live in places like New York or LA, they're not going to be really as involved because their voice is really going to be drowned out. But here, I think that'll be something that kind of, I don't know, I, I'm curious to see how public engagement reflects growth, you know, and so not a specific prediction, just a, an observation. Ben. Uh, so many things to predict. <laughs> I know. Let me just put on my soothsayer's cap here. Uh, I think a, a couple of things, actually. I, I think we're going to see either a resignation or or um, some amicable split between the administrator, uh, city administrator, Jennifer Stapleton, and the city of Sandpoint. Um, I don't think that uh, the incoming mayor and Jennifer uh, are destined to be bosom buddies. Mm -hmm. Um and so I, I feel like, I mean, she's already looked for other jobs before. She's already applied for other jobs before, essentially. And um, I think we're going to see the end of either that position or, or her specifically. Um, I also think, you know, Jim Woodward announced he's running against Scott Hernan again. And I think he's going to win. Um, I, I, I saw the performance that, you know, write-in candidate Steve Johnson had against um, Scott Hernan. And it was impressive. For a write-in candidate mm -hmm. to have that many votes and that percentage of the vote, so I think Woodward might um, might win that race with Herndon, but it's going to be an ugly, ugly race. Um, and I think, uh, like Lauren said, the the county um, we we do need to watch the county in 2024 because there's going to be a lot going on. Um, I don't think that the three commissioners sitting there are going to all be sitting there by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my 
prediction, Yemen would be that the um, the election's going to be. I don't know if I, I I can't really call that horse race uh, there that as you did, or, but there's going to be another testy election, I'm sure, for Mark Souter's seat mm-hmm. probably. Um, mm-hmm. And Sage Dixon is not running again for the other representative seat, so that's going to be uh, a pretty interesting. Nobody's announced for that yet, um, yeah. so that's going to be an interesting race there to fill that seat. Uh, well, we could see a whole new legislative uh, delegation here. Yeah, and Steve Bradshaw has a challenger too on the county commissioner yeah. race. Right. Um, I know. I think Luke Ahmed's up again in 2024. He had the he short is. term. Yeah, and he's already said he's running. Yeah. Again, so yeah. we're going to see. We're going to see a lot of the the. Um, the candidates against uh, Bradshaw and Ahmet, we're going to see a lot of them come out of the woodwork pretty mm-hmm. soon because mm-hmm. they're working on it. Um, and well, let's throw out uh, one potential prediction is the open primaries in- initiative. I will boldly predict it'll, it'll get on the ballot. Um, that's a it's a grassroots uh, campaign to get the initiative on the ballot. It's. I can't really say whether or not I would predict it's going to win or not because I'm sure that particularly the Republican Party will come out with a ton of uh, advertising opposing it prior to the uh, general election in November. Yeah, but but I bet they get it onto the ballot. That'd oh be, yeah, uh, yeah, I think, think there are fifty thousand. Yeah, they're, they're halfway to the the vote total they're they're trying to get, and they got to get that by, uh, I think April. Uh, okay, I'm going to throw out one softball sort of uh, prediction. I really think that. We're going to see a banner year for our cultural organizations, for the Panada, uh, the festival at Sandpoint. I bet it's going to have a really good season. Pondre Arts Council just moved into a really great new space on uh, on Second Avenue, and the music conservatory is doing great things. So I think we're going to have a rich cultural year, and it's uh, good news. Those sorts of things actually help bring us all together, right? Because it, they're not political at all, and uh, it's great when we have things that uh, can you know, go to our common ground that we have, which is we have a lot more of it than we might think. Mm-hmm. And I want to say thanks to Ben Olson from The Reader and Evie Seberg and Lauren Reichenbach from the Bonner County Daily Bee. Thank you guys all for coming in to give us uh, some insights on the year that was and uh, and maybe even the year to come. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much.